0: We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and probably we'll be doing both chapter 8 and 9 tonight. They both are on the same subject. Chapter 9 just is a short continuation of what he has to share in chapter 8. Um, Last time, he was talking about the fact that he was so very, very happy to see that Titus finally was able to reunite with him, Um, but it wasn't in Troas as as they had originally intended, but it was instead somewhere in Macedonia, probably Philippi. And uh, Paul is writing this letter from that particular community of uh, Macedonia. And remember, Philippi is in Macedonia along with uh, Thessalonica and Berea. Corinth is in Achaia, which is modern-day Greece in both cases, although Macedonia would be the northern part of Greece, Achaia is the southern part of Greece. Now, Achaia, especially with Corinth and Sancria, because they're on this isthmus um, between the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean, they have an advantage because they're a major waterway trade route, and they are a very prosperous region. Macedonia, on the other hand, has been going through a great deal of difficulty. There have been some wars uh, that have been devastating to the communities. Uh, The Christians in in, uh, that area of Macedonia were being persecuted because of their faith. And since the majority of businesses were gilded businesses, they had to be participants within the guild, kind of like labor unions, if you will, in our present day. And if they did not do what the guilds required of them, they were uh, basically not allowed to do business. And so many of the merchants who had become Christians, who did not want to participate in their idol worship that was promoted by the guilds, found themselves without any options. And uh, that became a very, very difficult thing uh, for the Uh, people in that area who were Christians to find work or to be able to sell their merchandise or do whatever they had done in the past before they had become believers. So they were under a great deal of pressure and persecution, and it was very difficult. They became uh, uh, dependent on one another and the charities of other people as well uh, to survive, basically. We see proof of that in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians when he talks about the fact that they were so under uh, some very severe, severe problems in their community that they thought the tribulation had begun. So that's a scene in which Paul is writing this letter from probably Philippi, talking to the, Thessalon- uh, to the Corinthian church about a promise that they had made in the letter that he wrote to them that we have as First Corinthians. I want to begin tonight by reading a portion of the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, because it is basically the focus of what Paul is going to be sharing in this chapter, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. But turn first with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, to give us the background of this particular request that Paul is making here in 2 Corinthians, we find... In chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writing these words, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there will be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, he's talking about an offering that is being collected by, he mentions Galatia, but also was also being taken up in um, Macedonia, in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And that offering was for the purpose of helping the Jews in Jerusalem. Paul really felt a real strong desire to bring a gift from the Gentile church to the Jewish church in Jerusalem and they were also going through a very difficult time for very much the same reasons as I mentioned earlier with regard to the people in Macedonia. Perhaps even more so with the Jewish persecution against the Jews who were Christians. They weren't only kept from employment or trading, but they were despised by family members and, and in the whole community. Many of them were forced to leave the area because of that persecution, but those who stayed were in severe, severe persecution by the Jewish people. And Paul wanted so much for the Gentile church to express their appreciation for the Jews who brought them the Gospel by giving this gift to them. Paul wanted to have the Gentiles and the Jews under the same umbrella, if you will, of Christianity. He didn't want there to be any kind of a distinction between Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. And he says in other places, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so it was very important to Paul for the Gentile churches to come together and make this offering on behalf of the Jews. Now, you remember in the book of Acts, chapters 2 through 4, we found that when they were in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, uh, the church was growing and all of the Jews were basically selling off all of their properties to have some kind of a commonality, a common fund from which they all could draw and be able to uh, live together in harmony. But they were anticipating probably that the coming of the Lord would be much sooner than it appeared to be likely after a season of uh, very, very uh, committed activity with regard to helping one another. The money would have dried out. The funds would no longer be available. All of the property had been sold. All of the people that were believers were stuck in this place that was a very hostile place and they had no way to go and they had no money to be able to do much of anything. So this was again the reason why Paul was so uh, committed to uh, getting this offering that he was wanting to collect. And we're going to find out in chapter 9 that it was over a year ago that Paul made this request that we just read about in 1 Corinthians. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, again, Paul is talking about this particular need for the Jews uh, to be helped by the Gentiles. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, Moreover, brethren... So here he's saying that Macedonia had given beyond their ability to give, even though they were suffering, there was affliction, there was great poverty in in their midst, but yet they chose to make that commitment that they had made uh, available to Paul when he and others uh, of his uh, team would arrive in Macedonia. And there was apparently some resistance by Paul and his team to receive that gift because He knew, Paul knew, that they were so very, very impoverished at the time. But they insisted. They said, no, we want you to give this gift to the Jews. They implored us, he says in verse 4, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, the saints in Jerusalem. So he's using this example of the Macedonians to encourage the Corinthians to likewise give. They were in dire straits as were the Macedonian churches. They were a very wealthy church and there was no real issue with them as far as being able to give but Paul was concerned that they hadn't yet come to that place of the commitment that they had made over a year ago when he first wrote to them about that request. Apparently when uh, uh, Titus came to Uh, meet with Paul in Macedonia, one of the things that Paul must have asked about was whether or not the gift that the Corinthian church had promised was ready. And he was wanting to go through Corinth on his way to Jerusalem and to bring the gift from all the churches, Galatia, Macedonia, and Corinth, back to Jerusalem to the saints there. And apparently Titus must have told him that they aren't really quite there yet with regard to what they had promised. Uh, You know, we talk a lot about in churches today of the pledging that some churches require or request of their congregations. I'm glad we don't do that sort of thing here. And I want to take a moment or two to discuss the financial condition of Safe Harbor Church, because I want you to all understand, Paul is here talking about a special gift that was made a request long before this, And that request was agreed to by the churches that he had spoken to. And they would actually be responsible then to come up with the money that they had promised in order for Paul to bring that to Jerusalem. And and he hoped to be very successful in this endeavor. As far as giving is concerned, the whole area of giving is an area that is very, very difficult to approach uh, with regard to what we should do as a church of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, there are some churches who yearly have a pledge Sunday where they request a certain amount of money for, as the people are willing to give, and they sign a pledge form saying that they are going to give X number of dollars every week for the entire year, and that pledge is something that they are asked to make a commitment to, and that's the way many churches operate as far as the collections are concerned. Other churches emphasize the fact that, you know, the Old Testament scriptures talk about the tithe, 10% of all of your earnings, all of your uh, income, not, but not only income, And it's not only 10% from the Old Testament perspective. A tithe is a 10% of your property, of your possessions. But there were more than one tithe associated with the Jewish people. And when you come to the New Testament, you find no mention of tithing. In fact, if you go through the early history of the church, there's absolutely no mention of tithing until the 6th century. And that's when the Roman Catholic Church began to require that of their people who were Catholic in attendance and in name. And it spread throughout much of the church. And it was unfortunate that that would take place. You find writings like that of Irenaeus and Eusebius who talk about giving freely uh, as they were enabled. And that's exactly what Paul says is the requirement of the New Testament church. Not a particular amount, but rather a willingness to give in support of the ministry to which you associate yourselves. And that brings us again back to our situation here at Safe Harbor Church. We have never asked for anybody to pledge anything. I've never asked for anybody to give a particular amount or percentage of what you earn. I believe that's between you and the Lord. I encourage the principle of tithing. I myself have been blessed to perform that which the Old Testament scriptures imply with regard to the giving of a tenth of your income, and I do that faithfully. When we first started Safe Harbor Church, the very first thing that I decided as a pastor that the church would be obligated to do would be to set aside 10% of our general income for the purpose of giving to missionary work. And we've done that from the very, very beginning. But it wasn't just a 10%. It was at least 10%. And we wanted to make sure that if we had the ability to do so, We would give more than that, and that's because I felt, and still do, that it is important for the church to be generous and to offer whatever it can, uh, above and beyond that which we might have committed to, just because we know that God blesses such things. And God has blessed our ministry here financially. I... uh, Only remember one time when I've asked to take a special offering beyond what people give normally, and that was a special offering for the purpose of helping a particular missionary establish himself in a new territory that uh, was a very, very hostile territory, and we took an offering in the church for that ministry. That's the only time I've ever said, would you please consider giving a special offering to this particular need? There have been other times when the church has been able and I'm so pleased to say that more than willing, uh, when the board comes together and we discuss those kinds of special needs like what we would have experienced during uh, the crisis in Hades, the floods and uh, damage that was done in New Orleans by the hurricane that hit them several years ago. Some of the other issues that we have uh, been considering as something that we can help with. We've been gladly willing to take of the resources that God has given and we provide those resources to other ministries. We've helped other churches in the state of Maine just because we've had the resources to do so. We've given extra monies to various ministries that we support. You know, most of the money that we have is based upon the simple giving approach that we have embraced at Safe Harbor Church, and it's always been more than enough. We used to take or receive a collection every Sunday. We'd pass a basket, and you people would be very willing to continue to contribute to the needs that uh, the church might have during those times. But when COVID hit, we ended up starting a different method and we decided to put the basket in the back end of the church and just let people choose to put money into the basket as they were led to do so. And I want you to know that the church has prospered even more since we did that than when we were taking the basket around through uh, the the various collections uh, that we had over the years uh, by passing the basket in the pews. Instead, we've been receiving a far greater willingness to give by the people in our church. Even though we have somewhat decreased in size, we've increased in our giving since COVID struck. That's not the case with a lot of churches. I've understood that many of the churches were very troubled and very concerned when COVID hit because they were fearful that their giving would be lessened. As it turned out for us, it was increased. What a blessing it has been. And, of course, you should also know that we as a church are debt-free. We don't have any mortgage on any of the properties that we have. They are clearly ours and without any indebtedness. We are able to do things like pave the parking lot, uh, put a new roof on this building that I'm in, um, without having to borrow money for any of that. There's not a lot of churches that can say such things, so we're blessed. Blessed beyond measure. So. I see in our church as an example of those who just willingly give from the heart without being emphasized or having the, uh, the need for a focus on giving. And as a matter of fact, it's very, very seldom that we even talk about giving, except that when we come to passages like this. So that's our story at Safe Harbor Church. You should be very proud of the fact that you are a very giving community of believers. And Paul the Apostle would, I think, be very, very pleased to speak to you about your generosity, much like he does with the Philippian church in this and also in the letter to the Philippians. Well, verse 5 says, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Take note of what Paul is saying. Not only did they give of their financial resources, but they gave of themselves first and then... The financial followed. That's an important thing. I remember long ago I heard a story about a Native American who sat in the church that he uh, wanted to come to see uh, the Lord moving in that particular location. And there was an offering that was received. And as the usher passed the basket down the uh, aisle in which he sat, uh, the, in, the Native American basically said, Put the basket lower. And the usher didn't understand quite what he was saying, but he repeated it. Put the basket lower. And so he did indeed put the basket lower, near to the ground. And even then, the Native American said, even more to lower lower than that. Put it on the floor. And when he did, the Native American put his feet into the basket. And he said, I don't want to give any money because I don't have any money, but I give myself. For service to my king. That's what Paul is saying here about these Philippian members of the Christian faith. He said, not only did they give their resources, but first they gave them of themselves to the Lord. Verse 6 says, So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So he'd instructed Titus to go to Corinthians. Give them that first letter and instruct them about the giving that they had promised that he would be collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. But as you abound in everything, he says in verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Remember, he told the written church in the first letter, that they were behind no church in spiritual gifts. And he's reminding them there, in this letter here, rather, in verse 7, of how abundant in everything they were, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, and in love. So he's commending them, but he reminds them that they had made this promise, and he's prayerfully asking them to complete that which they had promised. So now... He begins in verse 8 to talk about the pattern of giving. He says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you may have. Paul is saying, remember what Christ did for you. Christ, who was rich in glory, became poor by becoming a man. He was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor, that through his poverty we all might become rich in him. What a great verse that is. Verse 9 is a wonderful verse talking about the commitment that Christ made to us and in his having made such a commitment to us, it should be incentive for us to make that same commitment to him in reciprocity to what he has done. Verse 12 continues and says, But if there is a first willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So he's not saying that you should give beyond your means, even though the Philippian church had indeed done that. He's just saying you have been prospered and it's up to you to you make a decision on how much you should give based on what God has blessed you in. He says further on, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, and that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Talking about the collecting of the manna in the wilderness. The one who ended up collecting too much, well, the manna ended up rotting because they they took more than they were asked to take. They were supposed to take just a certain amount for their families and no more. And then when they were told not to take any, if they did take any on the day of Sabbath rest, then that would rot. But on the day before the Sabbath, on the Friday, they were to take a double portion and it would not rot because that second part of that which they collected on Friday, was good for both Friday and then the following day on Saturday. So he who gathered much had nothing left over, but he who gathered little had no lack. The ones who didn't get enough of the manna into their uh, homes or tents found that there was still plenty to eat in spite of that fact. God did a great miracle on behalf of his people. And in that, God demonstrated that he provides... And one of the things that we say often in our Calvary Chapel circles, and it's largely due to what Pastor Chuck Smith said, where God guides, God provides. And that's still true, I believe, today. Again, in verse 16, he says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Titus felt the same desire that Paul did with regard to the Corinthian church's commitment to what they had said they would give. He says again then in verse 17, for he not only accepted the exhortation to go to Corinth, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. He really wanted to to do this because He expected the Corinthian church to be very responsive to this request. He says in verse 18, And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. It's interesting that Paul doesn't mention who this brother is, but he's a brother in the church who is known by all the churches. And he says, And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men." Paul wanted to maintain a reputation of integrity. And he's saying, we've got this huge amount of money and we don't want anybody to think we're taking it for ourselves. And so he's putting around himself men who would be accountable. And accountability is, again, one of the hallmarks of, I believe, what this church has been able to represent over the years. We want to make sure that we are always accountable. We never, ever would have it any other way. Because there is so much corruption. You've seen it. You've read about it in stories that have been appearing throughout the years in the major news uh, uh, centers that, that certain individuals have been found guilty for extortion in the churches. It's still happening today. And there are many, even on television still today, who are taking advantage of poor people by convincing them that if they give, they will receive a double blessing. Give to receive. That's not biblical. Paul is saying there is nothing that he and the people that he is traveling with would ever do to give the church any reason to doubt their integrity. And that's the way it should be with all of us. Verse 22 says, And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul is saying, show them that you are People of integrity also. What you have committed, do perform. And it would be a blessing to all the churches to see that you have done so. Well, Chapter 9, again, is a continuation of Paul talking about this issue of giving. And he brings it a little bit closer to home with regard to individuals, the personal choices that we make when we give to the ministry that God calls us to give. He says in verse 1, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia, where Corinth was, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I assent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready." Lest, if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So Paul has been boasting of the Corinthian church to the Macedonian church, just like he was boasting of the Macedonian churches to Corinth, that those churches that have pledged this, whatever amount was that they had pledged would be indeed collected, and Paul is anticipating that the Corinthian church will indeed do so. But if they didn't, it would be an embarrassment to both Paul and to the Corinthian church. And Paul is trying to make sure that they understand that they should not want that to happen. He says in verse 5, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul is saying, if I go and you haven't made the collection yet, you're going to to be feeling obligated. And it would be a grudging experience for you. Paul doesn't want that to happen. In fact, he goes on to say, but this I say, verse 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That should be the basis, of, a basis upon which we give. Giving cheerfully. Whatever we have, if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. If we sow uh, sparingly, we'll receive less. It's a principle. He tells us the same thing in Galatians also, in chapter 6 of Galatians. I'd like you to turn there with me, and we'll read briefly what Paul says to the Galatian church. Remember, he had talked to the Galatians, as well as those in Macedonia and Achaia, about this gift. And he says in Galatians, at the end of Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, these words, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him Who teaches? That's actually verse 6, I'm sorry, of chapter 6. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is reminding the Galatian church, again, it's the same thing that basically he's saying here to the Corinthian church, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. The emphasis is on the need to do it with a cheerful heart. But if you don't do much, you're not going to receive much blessing. Jesus said something very similar when he said you should give as though it were to be putting treasure in heaven. And he said, give liberally. He said, it will come back to you. Whatever you give, whatever you sow, will come back and it will be a blessing to you. And that's the reason we do give. Not to receive the blessing, but because it is a blessing to give. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to receive, but it's far better to be able to give. And when you look at this agrarian typology that Paul is giving here, the sowing of seed, if a farmer sows just a few seeds in his field and thinks, well, that's enough, he's only got a few, vegetables that will be the result of that. He'll have less than what he may need to live on. But if he sows plentifully more seed on the ground than you might think were necessary, the result will be a multitudinal amount of produce that will result in great benefit to him and others besides. And that's the benefit of sowing plentifully. And so that's what we should consider when we're giving. How much are we able to give? And if it is even more than what we think we might be able to give, am I willing to give it without constraint? Am I willing to give it without being feeling uh, under compulsion? Am I doing it grudgingly or am I doing it willingly? Whatever we do give, it should be that way. Again, God loves a cheerful giver. That is important. It's a principle that we all need to remember whenever we consider, how much do I want to give? Do I want to give a full tithe and receive the tithe blessings that are promised to those who give that way? Remember, in the Old Testament, God said, I want to test you in this. He said, you've been withholding your tithe And if you don't withhold your tithe, I will pour out a blessing you cannot contain. Test me in this, he said. Well, the same principle applies. God is saying, I'm not asking you to give a particular amount. Some of you can give more than 10%. That's good. Like I said earlier, with regard to the Safe Harbor Church, giving to uh, missionary work, we give a tithe, but it's always at least that. And then when we've, Come to the place where we know we can do more. We, we do more. And that's a great blessing for us. It is always wonderful to give more than what you may thought, have thought you could have given. That's a principle that I think the New Testament church should stand on. And as I said, we have been mightily blessed by the wonderful generosity of our people who have been faithful in their giving here at Safe Harbor Church. I hope you all are doing it cheerfully. I know that it is very much what God would want. He says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Paul is here quoting Psalm 112, uh, verse 7 or rather verse 9, where he's talking about the man uh, who is blessed because of his righteousness. And he is a righteous man because he gives to the poor. He disperses abroad, and his righteousness endures forever. That's what Paul is referring to here in verse 9. The one who is a very generous, righteous individual, he is blessed beyond measure because of his willingness to do these things. Lastly, as he continues in this chapter 9, in verse 10 he says, Now may he who... Subst- Plies seed to the sower and bread for food. Supply the multi, uh, rather supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Again, the sowing of the, the seed and the agrarian society—they all were very familiar with the fact that the more you sow, the more produce you will have. And he's saying this with regard to God. God watches what you do. He supplies the seed for you, the sower, and also the the result of the seed, the bread that comes from that which is sown, to meet all your needs. God always meets your need. Paul tells us in Philippians, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, not only that, but while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and with all men, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. In other words, what you do is recognized by others. And it results in them wanting to bring blessing to you. If not through financial provision, through prayer and through thanksgiving to God, sharing with them and other men is so very important. With the household of faith initially, and if beyond that you are able to share as well with those outside the church. But primarily, Paul tells us first to the household of faith. But they are willing to do so, and if they are willing to do so, God is glorified, and they are truly blessed because of God's exceeding grace in them and upon them. And that's why he says at the very last of this great chapter, verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God's indescribable gift is Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for that gift which He gave, the gift of life, the Son, His only begotten Son. And how much more can anyone give than that? Let us be mindful of what Christ has given to us by His willingness to go to the cross, leaving the glory that He had to become a man in humble state for you and for me, to make us rich in glory with Him. There's coming a day when that will be the outcome and we will stand before Him. And I pray that we will stand before Him unashamed as a result of the fact that we have been more than generous in the way we minister to one another and the body of Christ. May He be glorified in it, in Jesus' name. God bless. Grace and peace.